Welcome back to the Architecture Firm Marketing Podcast, a show where I speak to architects who have found success in their business, marketing, and communications, as well as consultants and experts who will share their unique tips and strategies to help you attract your ideal clients. I'm your host, Dave Sharp, marketing consultant for architects. And if you'd benefit from professional advice and guidance on your marketing, you can head to vanityprojects.com to check out my coaching services and book in a free 30-minute consultation to discuss your situation. Today's episode is sponsored by Bowbird, and I'd like to thank Bowbird for jumping on board and supporting the show. I've known Nick and Ben, the founders, for years and seen their platform grow from this small startup in Melbourne to now being all over the world with reach into China, the UK, Europe, and the US. If you've seen other architects and interior designers getting lots of media coverage all over the place and wondered, hey, how do they do that? There's a good chance they're using Bowbird, and that's because many of the best publications in the world source their content through Bowbird, like Wallpaper, Frame, Arc Daily, and many more. It's very easy to use as well. So if you've ever had a project professionally photographed, then you've got everything you need to get started. You just upload your project and start submitting it to your favorite magazines, newspapers, and websites. So if you'd like to find out more, I have a previous episode of the podcast with the co-founder, Ben Morgan, titled Figuring Out the Architectural Media. It's episode 12. Or if you just want to use Bowbird and try it out for yourself, then head over to bowerbird.io. Joining me on the show today is Jennifer McMaster from Trius, a seven-person studio in Sydney known for their philosophy of solid, simple, and beautiful architecture. In this episode, we discussed how Trius has seen strong demand in the residential market for stripped-back, sustainable architecture and how it's helped the studio to stand out from their peers. We looked at why Instagram has become a bit less important for Trius than it used to be and what alternatives might be on the horizon to take its place in their marketing strategy. We had a look at how Trius is planning to share their upcoming projects and what they're doing differently this time around in terms of photography, video, and media selection. And finally, we reflected on the slowness of the architectural process and why it's important to take time to get the project photos and copy as perfect as they can be when it finally comes time to share the results of your hard work. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jennifer McMaster from Trius. Jen, thank you so much for coming back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Dave. It's nice to be back. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you on to talk about Trias. And you first came on the podcast back in July 2017. I don't think anybody's going to go back that far and listen to those episodes. And I don't think either of us remember what we even spoke about back then, but I'm curious to get a bit of an overall update. Of course. Well, I think way back when we talked in 2017, we were still working from the kitchen table. So it was a very different scenario to where we are now. Back then, the studio was made up myself, Johnny and Casey, and we're the three partners, directors who founded the practice together. So I think the time we would have spoken was actually pretty much when we just started the studio and we're a few weeks off our fifth birthday. And it's really exciting for us to look back and go, all right, we're a team of seven. So we've been joined by Tara, Sam, Rach and Ant and we work from an office space in Chippendale. So most of our portfolio at the moment is houses, which we really enjoy doing and we've quite deliberately stuck to that scale and typology for the last period. We find residential work really fascinating and I think that there's a really typical trajectory that architects go through where residential work is often seen as the launching pad for more interesting or diverse typologies. But for us, we find an enormous amount of rigour, depth and conceptual 
play in residential work and that actually if you zoom out and look at it at an urban scale at the scale of a suburb or in terms of different frameworks aside from just the nuts and bolts of putting a home together it's still really fascinating and has all of that rich groundwork that I think a lot of people go to other typologies to seek. So from our perspective, we still have that fascination and love of the house and the house as a project and housing as a project for the practice, if that makes sense. So we are really content in that space. So that's one side of it. And then the other side of it is that we're really focused on doing really great work. We're very conscious that we're in the early stages of our practice and architecture is such a long career path and it takes a really long time to build a business and a reputation that you can stand behind and be really proud of. Yeah, absolutely. And you talk about it being a slow, gradual process. It is quite amazing that, you know, five years into the business, it's still such a slow process to even get to the point that you're at today. I'm thinking about the time it took to get the first final outcomes of those projects that you could start showing to people. And now you're obviously waiting for a whole new batch of projects to be ready to show to the world that started two years ago or whenever they began. What are your thoughts on just the pace of your experience of these first five years of Trias and the business? I think you've touched on a really relevant point, which is that it does take a really long time to make architecture. And it also happens alongside a lot of steps and missteps and diversions and all of these things. You know, we're working with people's lives. So people pack up and move somewhere else or they put things on hold or it takes a while to get the right builder or get through council or get the money in order or whatever it is. And so you have to have that patience and persistence to really commit to and, you know, align everyone around creating something really great together. And so it has taken us a while to get that next round of projects that we're really proud of and that we want to come out with and say, this is who we are, this is where we're heading and this is what we're about. And a lot of that is just timing and luck and all these things that you can't control. I mean, you know, we've had a pandemic, so that's thrown a massive spanner in the works for so many people. So it is funny that it, it's sort of been a bit of a slow period for us for a while where we've been toiling away in the background, just doing our thing, you know, head to the ground, just trying to do a good job. And hopefully what we'll come out with soon is something we can be really proud of. When do you feel that turning point was where there started to be a real transition from us as the studio going out and competing in competitions and doing all the kinds of proactive things that you were doing in those very early days to demonstrate what you were about and your values and, and your abilities to where clients actually started seeing the work that you were doing and, and, and you were getting this kind of inbound inquiry. What point in the journey do you think that really started happening, I suppose, properly? I'd say for us, that's probably been in the last year or two. I think the last year in particular, yep. there's been that sense that people are coming to us for us as opposed to people coming to us because we're an emerging practice or we're young or they've been speaking to architects and they've put us forward. And I mean, that still happens plenty of times where other architects really kindly put our name forward to somebody. But we have found in the last couple of years, there's more people who are seeking us out for the specific values we have in service that we offer, which is a really good point to be at a business. Yeah. Is there anything you look back in particular that you think was really helpful in terms of making that transition happen or did anything stand out at where you go? We made some really good decisions there or we got lucky maybe. You mentioned luck and timing. Maybe there was luck and timing around something that you were doing that really helped to get that trend moving in the right direction for you. I think that our three-piece house, which was 
one of our first published projects was really instrumental in getting our name out there and finding the right clients. So that was a project that we were really proud of and that really represented a lot of the ideas that we champion within the practice. So things like good quality design and good bones, sustainability, but a sort of simplicity and timelessness that, you know, I've actually found in conversations with clients, a lot of people are seeking but can't find. It's really interesting in architecture because at least I feel like there's a lot of, you know, very high end and luxurious practices that are doing fantastic work, but it doesn't necessarily speak to a lot of clients. And we find a lot of the people that come to us are people who want something that's really good, that will last, that represents good design, but isn't necessarily opulent. And that means one thing I think to us as architects, but it means something really different to a client. And that project seemed to resonate with people for those reasons. It's relatively modest, but it still has that sense of architecture, you know, capital A architecture, which is what we're trying to do in our practice. So that was a really foundational project for us. And then in parallel to that, I think it's just been that slow and steady accumulation of, you know, building a website, putting things out there, trying to consistently speak in a voice and say the things that we believe in so that you find the right people, tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, you know, I'd like a building that represents these things as well. So there is the other side of it that's just being consistent and trying to find your own voice and ethos and things within the industry. You, you mentioned there that there's a desire or a kind of unmet need out there for a certain type of architecture, for a certain type of client. And you sort of commented that maybe architects see it one way and then clients see it another way. Could you go a bit deeper into that in terms of where you feel that your practice sits in the market? It's a good question. We often ask our clients why they choose to work with us and the answers you get back are really interesting. So I remember there's a project that we're working on in Mossman and they interviewed like eight or 10 architects or something like that. And I remember after the meeting, we got that call and they said, look, we want to work with you. You're fantastic. We think that we're going to, you know, get along like a house on fire. And surely enough, we have. And their project is going to be starting construction in the next month or so. But one of the things they said was they said, look, we really want something that is sustainable in the sense that sustainability is thought through the design process in terms of all of these different layers, so how the building operates, where the materials are coming from, so on and so forth. And they said there's nothing really that we picked up about those values in terms of what we read about you and what we were finding out, or, or very little, I should say, it wasn't nothing. But when we actually sat down and spoke to you, that just shone through so much more than other people. You, you knew so much more about it. You were so much more passionate than a lot of other architects were. So we found that something a lot of clients are really interested in is understanding how those systems fold into their home in a really genuine way. I think that's such a foundational value for so many people these days, you know, people being climate conscious, people wanting to invest in a quality piece of architecture, but also know that those systems are being built in the back end and that it's really being built to last. So that's one side of it. And I think another side of it is that there's a lot of people who really love good design and want good design, but there's just a tipping point where it becomes too much where the things that one architect or one client might value are just not things that resonate with them. And it's a bit like anything else in this world, you know, I'm getting married really soon and I'm looking for a wedding dress and it's like there's so many dresses, I'm just like, I would never wear that. It's just too frilly and fussy and there's too much lace and beads and oh, it's too much. And that doesn't necessarily mean 
I don't want something that's beautiful and something that's designed and elegant, but it might be a bit more stripped back than what somebody else has to offer. And I mean, I'm finding it impossible to find a wedding dress because it's just like, you know, 90% of people in this world want a particular vision and I'm off there looking for something slightly different. So I think there's probably more people in the world than we give credit for that are looking for that something slightly different. And we have done the best job that we can to find those people and seek them out and find people who want good design, who are interested in sustainability. But it's maybe that little bit more pared back than what we look around and see some of our peers doing. That's the simplest way of articulating it. That's very interesting because I always have this discussion with guests on the podcast about differentiation and finding a point of difference. And we've all basically universally agreed that it's impossible, but then you just come along and go, yeah, our point of difference is this and this. So you've just, you've completely broken the pattern of every guest on the podcast who doesn't know what their competitive advantage is. So I have to dig a little bit deeper into that because my goodness, we've finally found something. So that that idea of it being sustainability integrated holistically into the design, then that's slightly more stripped back, but capital A architecture, whereas a lot of the other architects that you're being considered against are more opulent or, or whatever. Do you feel like in that typical set of architects that Trias is being compared to, would you group them as reasonably similar types of architects or are they more of a mixed bag in terms of different types of practices? It's a little bit of both, to be honest. I imagine, and again, from talking to clients, I think a lot of the ways that they find architects are either through the traditional media that we know, you know, they pick up a magazine, they're looking at blogs and resources in which they can, you know, figure out who to choose to do their project and find out who's local to them that might align with their aspirations and aesthetic and that kind of thing. But then some of it is just completely random. I mean, you know, you get people who walk by the site and just see it under construction and go, that looks cool. And they've been working with someone down the road and they just suddenly it connects with them in some way and they go, no, I don't want something. I want architecture. And we often find that there's multiple touch points. So it's very rare that it's just one article and went, that's my architect, we're here. It tends to be that your name's been mentioned somewhere. They've walked past something on the street. They've glanced something in a magazine or on a blog or something. It seems to be that multiple touch points are that thing that really reinforces who you are and your reputation. That's definitely something that we've noticed with people. And I think that's actually a really good reminder to us as architects, which is that people are watching lots of different things that we're doing and listening as well. They're reading what we're writing. They're listening to what we're saying. A lot of people come to us as much because of the things that we say as the images we put out, which I think, again, speaks to something that is so valuable in terms of who we are as communicators. Mm. And so that's been a really good lesson. I think for me coming through the industry and, and finding it so visual, that's been really empowering actually to realise that those things are powerful. So so you sort of see that there's not really one kind of pathway that people come through. There's a combination of lots of factors and you find people have these multiple touch points. Does that change anything about how you think about marketing the practice in terms of creating those different touch points? I think the clearest translation it's been for us is that you have to be a little bit across a lot of things and that's always really hard, particularly in small practice because you already wear so many hats. So at the moment, for example, we've been really quiet on social media for a while just because we've been focusing on building a website, for example, and thinking about our marketing strategy in another channel. So it's just that process of going, what have we not given love for a little while and putting a bit of attention there. And then I think every time you do something, just trying to do it really well. And we have in our old office in Darlinghurst, we actually had the Dita Rams quote, less but better on the door. And it was a really nice conversation started with our team and with clients when they came in and things like that. But we 
I think also do try and think about every project that we market, how can we make sure who we put it in front of and the story that we're telling with that project is really compelling and really reaching out to the people that we're going to connect with and that are going to want to work with us. So, I mean, there is that scattergun approach that you can do with marketing where, you know, send it to every blog and and send it out everywhere and just get eyeballs. But there is, I think we've probably learned a bit more over the years as well that there's also a counter argument to say, let's really stop and think about what we're trying to say here and who we want to put it to and who might pick this up and really connect with it. Because the reality is as architects, we don't need a million calls. We just need a handful of really good ones that we're going to enjoy working on and that are going to lead to great outcomes. So you sort of, I think early on, maybe we were a bit more cognizant of the volume, but now it's a bit of a combination of volume across a few different media, but also being really thoughtful about who we talk to and and what we're trying to say. With the projects you've got coming up that are getting ready, you mentioned earlier the middle of the year would be a big time for you guys in terms of putting some of this stuff out there. What sort of things do you anticipate that you're going to try to do with those projects in terms of publications, social media, online? Just give me the picture of what that high quality, less but better strategy would look like at the moment, just in terms of your initial plans. I guess we're trying to think about things really project to project. So rather than thinking, okay, well, we know as architects, these are say the magazines or blogs or resources that we can go to that might publish our work is actually thinking about it from the project first and the story of that project, and then connecting that to a client or connecting that to the person who's ultimately going to hear that story and then going, well, what platform is going to be the best method for presenting that story? So it might be that for a certain house, that's one publication, or it might be that it's a particular style of photography shot in a particular way that creates one narrative. There's one particular project where we're talking with the clients about doing a particular type of video because it's this really immersive sensory house. And so that's the thing I really love about architecture. I love the story of the project and the story of the client and the way those things intertwine to create something that is bespoke, that hasn't been done before. And I guess that part of what we're trying to do is extend that strategy into the way we keep telling the story of the project. So it doesn't stop when we've, you know, photographed it and we send it out to the media and the world, but it continues to sort of evolve as we continue telling that story or in a lot of cases start telling that story. I mean, we try and share our process quite a lot on Instagram in particular, partly because we think it's really interesting and partly because we just love the design process and a lot of people love the design process. It's so fascinating and interesting to get that peek behind the scenes, I think, of how architecture is made. But then there's that second layer to it, which is once the project goes out into the world, how do you keep telling that story? And in a way that's interesting because so many projects sort of sound the same. And if we're all not careful, you know, you pick up your phone and it's really easy for years and years of your life to become a single tile on a screen that you scroll past in two seconds. And that's disappointing when you put so much into it that we don't stop and give things the time to really slow down and tell the story and all the kind of highs, lows, distractions, challenges, pitfalls, triumphs that make a project. So if I'm thinking about the projects that we're publishing soon I think there's one story to be told which is about how that was made and actually providing some detail about you know how did we get from start to finish and I know last year we started doing these 
Instagram little highlights, which just literally went through and showed people, you know, the first concept sketch, the client brief, how it evolves in design development. So going from a sketch to a model, through council, through documentation, all of that kind of thing. So I think that's one side of it, which is actually you've got this beautiful product that we're putting out into the world, a product, so to speak, this image, this end building, whatever you might call it. And this is how we got there because that's really interesting and it's great for clients to actually understand all the work and time that goes into that process. And then I think there's the other side, which is you've got this house or this project that you've made with all these people at the end and just stepping back and going, well, what is it that's actually different about this project from the house next to it or from the story preceding it and the story after it in a magazine? What's going to make this be something special? Because one of the things I think that's happened even probably since I've spoken to you last is that there's just such a kind of volume and ubiquity of architectural media coming out as well. You get a newsfeed every day and there's just, it just feels like there's so many really brilliant, great, outstanding projects that are coming out. And so I think to some extent, we're just trying to go, well, what makes our work unique and how can we talk about it and showcase it in a way that is just going to be something that stands out? It's that simple, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. So in terms of the group of projects, you mentioned sort of each project would have its own story and kind of its own individual thing. And this question I often ask guests is when it comes to photography, are you in the kind of work with the same photographer for everything camp or in the user range or variety of different people, depending on the project, what would work best for it and so on. So in this case, have you gotten one photographer that you like to do everything or has it been something where you've, you know, mixed it up and used different people with these projects that are coming out around the same sort of time? So far we've been working, we've worked with a couple of photographers. So we've worked with Ben yep. Hosking and Clinton Weaver and we have fantastic relationships with both of them and they're both such incredible photographers and really nice to work with, which is, I guess, the other side of all of that. But we are talking to some other people and just thinking about different ways of showcasing the projects. I mean, we had one of our clients shoot some photos of their own house recently and they were actually amazing. It was just really interesting having the architectural photos beside the client's photos and just the things they observed, the things that they captured and the way they captured those things. It was the, you know, the same house, but just seen through different eyes. So I think there's a lot of value in that as well. And it's been interesting. We've sort of shown those two sets of photos to friends and family. And sometimes one set appeals more than the other. And it's just, again, it's just, uh, it's so interesting to see what speaks to people and why. And I think we're just in that phase where we're experimenting and learning more than having clear answers, if that makes sense. But yeah. it's nice to try and see and test and learn as we go. Yeah. So are you also going to try something different to last time with the media approach? Or did you find that with Three Piece that you were pretty happy with how that worked out and how you went through that process with that project? Are you going to potentially take a similar approach this time? Or again, is there any new ideas in terms of what you might do with maybe one of these projects? You mentioned video, so I'm imagining where that's going to go, but in, in, similar strategy to last time or, or something different this time with the projects? I imagine it'll be a bit of both. So it was definitely really helpful for us with Drew Peace House, having things like getting into houses and Green Magazine getting on blogs, just the, the reach of the internet and the way that things sort of get pinned and sent from person to person and things like that. There's just that organic reach that happens. So all of that, I think, is a bit of an inevitable part of being in architecture and getting your work out there. But beyond that, I mean, I guess we're starting to look more at international publications or publications that maybe just have a slightly different tone to them and tell the story of a building in a different way. 
I guess it hasn't been just that process of going, okay, this is what we did last time, we're going to do it again. It's sitting there with the project and going, what are we trying to say with this one? And so which publication or site or whatever it is best going to align with that story and that message and things like that. So I'm thinking in particular of two projects we have and one's a really tiny 45 square metre terrace renovation, but it's really beautifully crafted and really thoughtfully done and the clients are designers and we've just had such an amazing process working with them designer to designer. And so that's one very different type of story to say another house we've just finished in Kirk Curl, which is probably a much more traditional architectural process where it's a building we're really proud of, but it's been a much more professional relationship where we've been the architect and you know the clients have been extremely extraordinarily trusting with the outcome that we've delivered. But they're two very different projects with two very different stories that have been the underpinnings. And so part of me sort of thinks, well, that's really interesting in and of itself. So is there a way that can be captured somehow and that the end product can be sort of showcased in a different way? Yeah. Are you personally, you know, making sure that you're across all of these different publications? Because I do meet a lot of architects that maybe they don't actually engage with that media stuff very much themselves and they don't actually feel too familiar with what's inside the cover of the vast majority of publications that are out there. So if it got to a point where you had to actually align a project or match it up with an ideal publication, they would actually struggle to do that because they may have heard of a couple of them, but they're not actually sure what the style and approach of that magazine or that outlet is. But it sounds like you are, and that's informing the approach that you decide to take with the projects. We definitely think about that. So we'd definitely be thinking about what's the tone and the temper and the atmosphere being suggested by a different publication, even a different style of photography, for example. So we've had situations where we've submitted photography to magazines and they've said, you know, it doesn't have enough people in it or it doesn't have enough furniture. And then you'll get the opposite where people sort of want something that looks really super minimal and stripped back and more abstract. So some of it's been more conscious and some of it is probably more intuitive and just understanding where a publication is heading and and the way that they tell the story of a building or the audience they're trying to reach. You know, we try and read pretty widely, I guess. We talk to our team, you know, we've got a really fantastic team who are all really engaged with architecture and constantly finding new publications and sites and things like that we're not familiar with. And so it's this process of sort of figuring it out together and seeing where our curiosity is and seeing if that takes us down a different path. But I think we try and look and listen and and see what's happening in the industry and keep our finger on the pulse a little bit with certain things. And then I think a lot of it's just about, they're similar skills to being an architect. It's kind of stepping back and really understanding what a space needs, what makes it a great photo, what makes it a great story in terms of the way that you describe the project or, or name the project or whatever it is. So to us, I think they're almost ancillary and tangential skills to being an architect. They're just other ways of expressing your commitment to that project, if that makes sense. Like we've been shooting projects the last couple of weeks and you think you've been working on this project for years and years and a client's poured so much money and so much commitment into it and then you've got this one day where you shoot it and that's the artefact is these photos. And so you've really got to do it justice. And for us, it's that's then where you've got to step back and stop and go, what are we trying to say? How do we do this project justice and, and bring it to life in the way that we've all been working for so long? And it's the same with writing the descriptions. It's really easy to go, oh, you know, shit, I've got to do this on a Friday afternoon, last thing on my list or whatever. But I don't know, you've, you've got to step back and go, this is the moment to really catch the journey of this thing. And so how do we use that 500 words or whatever it is to really 
tell that story and make it not make it generic, not make it another kind of description with the same words and the same tone and everything is so much of what we read to really make it special. And I think that's something we try and do a lot in our practice is step back and just think, what are we trying to do here? Why are we trying to do it? And how do we really honour the hard work that everyone's put into something? Because it, it's so much hard work and there's so much love and commitment and joy and sacrifice and honour goes into a building. And so those moments we have to put it out into the world and capture it, you have to put so much attention into it because that's the architecture as well. That becomes the architecture. Not many people go, go through the building in the end or walk past it or drive past it. They see it as that artefact. And so we really honour that and try and put a lot of effort and time and love into that as a piece of communication. If you like what you're hearing so far, please make sure to share this episode with colleagues you feel would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave me a five-star review on the Apple Podcast or Spotify app? Every review makes it easier for people to find the show and hear what my amazing guests have to say. I also love hearing your questions and I'm planning more listener Q&A episodes. So please send your questions in to questions at vanityprojects.com and I'll answer them on the show. You know, I love that example you had of writing the project description on a four o'clock on a Friday afternoon and going, oh, what a painful chore this is, right? It doesn't feel like it really matters in the scheme of things, how well or not well you do that, do that stuff. It feels just like busy work maybe, but it could be the difference between <laughs> your firm going off in two very separate directions, depending on how well you do that in a way that, you know, some other things you work on or other decisions that you have to make in a typical day, you know, they may not be as consequential, but those moments that you mentioned when that project is finished and those few ways that people are going to see it or read about it, they're like absolutely critical. Yeah. That's the way that we see it. And, and there's also a lot of joy in that moment in reflecting back and in capturing all of that good effort and energy. So it's a really joyful moment. I mean, you know, a lot of the shoots we've been doing recently, the clients are really excited. Like they get to see their house photographed. Like so many of them didn't even ever think they'd get to live in architecture. So there's this thing that you get to do with them as well. So it's, it's just trying to find the joy in all of these things that otherwise can feel a little bit like a chore. So yeah. <laughs> at least that's what I try and tell myself. So Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And you use, a, you used a term a little while ago when we were talking about media stuff, finger on the pulse, right? I imagine it was really easy to keep your finger on the pulse in the first year of practice where you were putting things together, working from your kitchen and maybe maybe weren't quite as busy or flat out as you would be now running a seven person <laughs> practice with a big handful of projects. And I guess just this idea of the importance of staying relevant as a practice over time as you grow. Is there a side to that where you've gone, you know, we need to actually concentrate on this. It's not going to happen on its own. We're not going to you know, we're not going to stay aware of who the cool photographers are or the cool publications or where the best quality is out there. It's not going to stay aware of itself. We actually need to really make an effort to concentrate on that. But I guess just your thoughts overall on the challenges of staying current and relevant as a practice as you grow and as you get more established. It is a, it's an interesting one. And I feel like it's also been really dampened the last couple of years by the pandemic because we have all of these opportunities normally where we can go out and bump into peers and pop in on project sites and just find out what other people are up to in a way that's much more live and connected and real than we've been able to to some extent with the pandemic. So it does feel like everyone's been 
away in their silos or at least well this is how I feel how we feel we've been sort of away in our silo you know busily working away and doing our thing and now we're popping our heads up and we're all gonna you know get some fresh air and all that kind of thing so I think normally there are a lot more opportunities to do that than there are and there have been in the last couple of years I mean there's obviously been really isolated examples that have been extraordinary like architects bookshop talks they were fantastic and that was a great experience to have everyone sitting in their lounge rooms knowing we were all live streaming all these architects talking. The same thing happened with universities where suddenly they could get lecturers or crit panels with people from around the world. So there's been this dissolving of boundaries that's been quite magical actually and in a way has allowed that reading of the pulse to spread more widely than it has normally. But I think the localised version of that, of what's happening say in your town or community has been a bit dampened. So that's been challenging. I think the other side of it though is that Part of it, I guess, has to be always engaging in the culture and just making sure that for us, it's just things like trying to stay somewhat connected to unis and to people at different age brackets and in different types of practice across the industry. I mean, it's really interesting to see how a student perceives a life in architecture compared to the way that somebody who's been practicing for decades perceives a life in architecture or the way that a project is run or the priorities of a project for example you know somebody older's probably seen you know they've seen so much change in the industry and then you have all of these graduates coming out of university whose priorities are just so so different to even my generation and I'm, I'm not even that old like it's amazing so I think a lot of it's just being connected to people as much as it is being connected to media and just being connected to the world I mean that's where it all comes from it comes from what happens on the news every night and what happens that is affecting all of us, you know, politics, society, culture more generally. Architecture is its own world, but it's also a part of that broader fabric. And so as much of any of it is just about staying connected to what's happening, you know, more broadly. So I guess that's the sort of short answer to it. But I think the other side of that and the other side of the zeitgeist is also you have to know what you're about. And so we've noticed things that when we started a practice, but zeitgeist, you're on trend or whatever, and the tide's changed and the tide has moved in a different direction. But you have to then figure out, well, what am I going to stand for and what am I going to root myself into within all of this? And then what do I need to be, you know, flexible in? You know, where do I bend? Where do I sway? And then where am I firmly planting my roots? So, I mean, we're only five years in, but there have definitely been things that have shifted in the culture even since we began. And you also have to have those internal debates about, you know, where are we changing and where are we staying strong? Because these things always come round and come back. But it also, yeah, it's sort of that combination where you have to balance being current with being true to who you are and what the foundations of your your practice are, I think. It's interesting. A bit of a change of you know topic from that a little bit, but you mentioned earlier that you were actually thinking a little bit more internationally and you picked up on that comment there about the culture becoming a little bit more international during COVID and, and new ways of engaging with other architects much more accessibly. And when you're looking forward to the future of Trius and sort of where you guys are going to be working, do you think it's going to go beyond Sydney? Is that part of the longer term plan in terms of becoming an international practice? Or how would you describe what you're thinking about for the future? I don't know how much we can plan for those things because at the end of the day, we are a small practice and I think full expansion probably requires resources that we don't have, but we've already got a couple of projects interstate that have come about with the pandemic. So we're doing a little project in Hobart and one in Perth. And interestingly, both of those clients are based in Sydney and they've bought property elsewhere. And so we're working with them on some really interesting little projects in both of those cities. And I mean, we do get people contacting us from overseas, but I think it's just been a hard time for that kind of thing. And it does take a certain type of person to commit to an Australian firm within any context, let alone a pandemic. So we'll see. Life is long. Yeah. 
But but I, I think that being at least in the back of your mind thinking about that on the longer term plan, it does change how you approach certain aspects of your marketing. I, I, I personally knew doing what I do and it being so niche, I knew I wasn't going to be just working with architects in Melbourne. I knew it was going to have to be something that would be national and international to find the market that I wanted to find. So when I was making decisions about how will I market myself, I'm leaning more towards those things that don't have such a strong local attachment to them. Mm, and that's interesting. I imagine that there's a little bit of that going on in some of the choices that you guys make where it's like, you know, if we have to decide where to prioritize our efforts, maybe we do think more broadly or more internationally, what would we do that would get us more international exposure rather than necessarily just trying to go after certain Sydney suburbs or something like that. It, it just shifts your priorities a little bit because not many residential practices tend to go the interstate route, let alone the sort of international route. I would say that for us, it's less about the locations and where the work is. It's more about the people and having people who are aligned with what we do and who we align with. And we're just trying to talk to those people and to do work that really embodies who we are, what we're about, what we believe in, what we think architecture should be. Not for everyone. I mean, we're not dogmatic people. We're not the type of people who are going to stand up on our soapbox and say everyone has to do what we're doing. In fact, quite the opposite. I mean, it's really good to have this industry where there's variety and breadth and choice for people about which flavour of architecture they want for their lives. But so for us, it's more about who we are and what we stand for and the type of work we want to do. And if that project's down the road, 500 metres, or if it's across the globe, we, we don't mind. It's more about just doing work that we're, we can stand behind and be proud of. And that is architecture, that kind of embodies the best of architecture that's ambitious, that's experimental, that challenges us, that challenges our clients, that leaves something behind that's really good. So wherever those people are, we're just hoping and searching for them, I guess. Do you yeah. think that the world is ready to have their houses designed by architects in Sydney, even though they're in Copenhagen or, yeah, <laughs> or South Korea. So. Do you think we're getting think to the so. point where that's going to become a more normal sort of everyday thing? Yes and no. I mean, I, I don't think that you can discredit the value of localism and of knowing a place, of being rooted and grounded in a community. Just also just understanding the nuts and bolts of what it is to do a building in a particular place. Architecture is so complicated and trying to get through council and trying to get, you know, get through all the hoops and things is, is hard. Even working interstate, we've had to call up colleagues and friends and just be like, you know, how does your planning process work? Like, you know, you can be a great building designer, but you still don't know how that back end works. And architecture is such a team sport. So it's also having those connections to builders and consultants and all the people that make a project great, not just you. So I think that's such a valuable way to make architecture and to understand, you know, that little piece of the place that an architect is putting into the puzzle. To have that be your place is really powerful. But at the same time, a lot of the conversations that we have had with people when they've had projects overseas, they've been Australians or they've been people who have a connection to where we're from. And so there's this bridge that is taking you there. And that's the thing with the world now is that even when we've looked for people to work with, we'll look in our own backyard, but we'll also look further afield because you're just looking for connection. And that human connection, that's global and that's got this diaspora beyond your neighbourhood. It's not to say that it doesn't exist there, but it can go further. And so that's where it doesn't surprise me is that those connections can spark from anywhere to anywhere. I don't think it's always the right answer. In fact, I think a lot of the time it isn't. But 
it doesn't mean that it's not a valid way of practicing and it couldn't be a meaningful and contributory way of practicing. There's also that value that comes from an outside perspective of from seeing a place with fresh eyes. And one of the first projects we did was a tiny little cabin in Wales that we won through a competition. And the whole ethos of the project was to work with this material that everyone had lying on the side of the road. Like it was literally disregarded and we just saw it as really beautiful. So there is that validity in architecture as well of a creative perspective that just comes in, sees something afresh, takes away a living that's really ubiquitous and familiar to us and transplants it somewhere else and blends it. So that can be really valuable, but I think it's just really contingent on the factors that are underpinning the project. Yeah. Um, Can we talk about Instagram for a little bit? Sure. Because I think over time, Tris has been leading the way in terms of approach to Instagram, in terms of aesthetics, care and attention to detail, copywriting and captions. When you came on the podcast in 2017, you had whatever, 20,000 followers and Instagram as a platform has changed so much between then and now, and you're not as busy on the platform as you as you once were. And you described it as we've been in the silo for the last year, just working away. But do you think there's also something deeper at play in terms of Instagram is less important to you now than it once was? I think many practices feel that way or express that to me. Have you personally experienced that with Trias that your Instagram doesn't have quite the same sparkle to it that it did back in the day? Mm, I think that's very true. And I think a broader cultural shift that's happened where not only is the attention algorithm and all that kind of back-end stuff working in a different way, but also people's attitudes towards it as a platform have changed. I think, you know, the way people choose to and want to use their phones is really different. The way that we want to, the amount of time we want to spend on screens, the way that we want to access content and the depth and I guess integrity of that content, I think has become a lot more important to people. So We still really think Instagram is great and it is a platform that is really valuable for our business and a lot of people still, you know, look at our account and go back and look through old posts and read what we've written and, you know, we love putting up little stories about what's happening on site and all of that kind of thing. So it's not to say it doesn't have value, but I do think that for a lot of people it just doesn't form the same, you know, optimistic cornerstone that it used to. And I don't know if it generates conversation and community in the way it used to as well. I don't think that people are as engaged anymore. And sometimes you've just got to look at it and go, well, that moment has passed. And I think to some extent it has and that's okay. And then you've just got to go, well, what's next and where are we heading now? And it doesn't mean it's not valuable. It just means it has a different place in the hierarchy. And that's where some of our attention has just been going to different things because I think intuitively we're thinking that's not where people are seeking out freshness anymore in the way they did maybe a few years ago. They're going to other places. And so how can we acknowledge that? And I think a bit of it is also just understanding your own behaviour. I mean, I know I just don't use it as much because I'm just not as interested and I'm not as curious about it as a a platform in terms of what people are putting out there and stuff like that. So we've just been thinking about, you know, what else is there and what what could we do next? I think I've been thinking about that too. And I don't know, have you come to the same conclusion that I have that there's currently nothing? Like, uh, I don't know, maybe it's TikTok, but well, there's nowhere we're yeah, going to so like, That's yeah. the thing, I think, for architects, for, for the general public right now, it's TikTok, clearly. Uh, Everybody yeah. is but moving from different. architects to TikTok, yeah. from, sorry, yeah. from Instagram to TikTok, but architecture yeah. does not feel like it is going to go there. What's architecture going to do? Do we just not have social media anymore? Do we just get published and then we go into our silo for two years and then wait for a new project and then get published again? Is that Are we going back to that? I don't know. We'll have to see. I mean, it's such an interesting time, right? Like we don't know what everyone's ready to do now. I feel like we've all been hibernating and so it's 
like we'll see if everyone comes out of their caves a bit sluggish or if they're all hopped up and ready to ready to do some <laughs> stuff. We'll have to see. I don't know. I think there's going to be a bit of a resurgence with just in-person stuff and, you know, getting back to face-to-face but also like recognising the joy and opportunity that comes from being face-to-face and just getting together and doing things a bit more, you know, in the same room and so on. Um, maybe we're all a bit zoomed out. I don't know. Um, I think people's attention spans, people are sick of like the short attention span thing. So I think a lot of what's going to be more powerful is longer format and more in-depth actually. And that actually makes sense for architecture in a lot of ways because architecture is a huge investment and it's, it's an investment of time, it's an investment of money, it's an investment in a relationship. And so in a lot of ways, long format presentation in whatever way, like a photo essay or an article or just things that go into depth rather than things that are fleeting and impressionable, I think that's what could be really interesting next. And I wonder if it's that people are seeking depth, fact, trustworthiness, all of these things that have been stripped away a little bit and that maybe we have a place to step up as architects because we are knowledgeable, we are experts, we have a lot of things to say. So maybe there's a void that we can fill there somehow. I don't know. Yeah, does that mean longer form print and journalistic media videos, medium format videos, so local project-ish YouTube channel type stuff, maybe, maybe, God forbid, podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, podcasts are phenomenal. I mean, they're such a good example of a media that has transcended that change though because, you know, you can still be on your phone but you're doing, you can be out walking, you can be cooking, you can be doing things that are still part of your life but you have this positive intrusion whereas I think, Social media has become a negative intrusion and people have changed their attitudes because of that. But podcasts, everyone loves podcasts. They're great. I know. I think we need more just sort of general architecture-related interview podcasts in Australia because the fact that architects have to listen to this marketing one to hear from architects is like (laughs) (laughs) really unfair on them. They just want to hear about people. Yeah, they just want to talk architecture. It's waiting for like a chef's table. We need like a chef's table for architects where there's kind of – because the work we do is so interesting to so many people. Yeah. And there is that sort of tale of triumph of how you manage to pull a project together or even just a practice together. Like yeah. it's so hard and so fascinating. So one of one of my clients, um, George Bradley in the UK, he he hosts a podcast called Another Architecture Podcast. And each episode just focuses on one building. And it's just an interview with the architect just talking about that one project. And I just love that in-depth level of going into something. I feel like somebody needs to sort of start that here. Somebody who feels comfortable talking about design uh, and architecture all day. But okay, so that's interesting. I personally find the architecture media, it was a little bit wobbly for a minute there in terms of what's the future of that going to look like? But I feel like it's making an enormous comeback, it feels like. Yeah, would you would so you agree well. seeing, sort of seeing yeah. that, feeling that too? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I feel like there was a moment there where there was almost that sense of yeah. we can self-publish, you can do it all yourself and so on and so forth. But then, again, I do wonder if people are wanting to go back to trusted sources yeah. and to go to, you know, just like how a practice is a brand to go back to a brand that has a name, that has a reputation, that has, you know, that they can trust to produce something of quality because the internet is filled with amazing stuff, but it's also filled with crap. And so, you know, to have that faith when you pay for something that you're going to get journalism, that you're going to get integrity, that you're going to get a quality photograph, that you're going to get a great story. That's really valuable, I think. Yeah. Even more so now because you realize how much 
there is that is just filling the void a little bit. And time is so precious. The older you get, the more you become immersed in the industry, you realise time is so precious. And so to be able to pick pick anything up and have it really speak to you is so, so valuable and irreplaceable. In terms of some of the content that you guys make or have made previously around projects, the bulk of the content you've ever shared on Instagram has been model photography. It's been uh, renders. Uh, it's been, you know, the way that you have created drawings just to be shared and shown on Instagram in a really curated kind of way. Lots of that process, and I'm I'm remembering back to an earlier episode of the podcast with Winter Architecture where we spoke about whether or not it's best practice to actually show too much process in in a sense. There was this idea we were discussing of maybe it's better to be patient for the real thing and maybe just give little glimpses but to not overdo it in terms of showing too much of the project too soon, whereas you've raised sort of the the opposite opinion, which is the process is key and that you've stylized it and shown it and represented it in this really powerful way. But I wonder is your philosophy on that sort of adjusted or just shifted a little bit over time, given that you're not pumping out loads and loads of that sort of process stuff at the moment? Is that just because maybe the need or the pressure to do that isn't there quite as much for you guys because you know what you've got coming up in terms of finished stuff? Or has your thinking around showing process and showing that behind the scenes, has that changed at all? I think that commitment to showing process is still there. And I know that's a big part of what we're thinking of for our website, for example, is actually delving into process and, again, sort of showing the evolution of something rather than it just a completed thing. I mean, I can understand that instinct to hold back because there's also a lot that can change and go wrong or cause a diversion in a project. So sometimes it can feel a bit vulnerable to put something out there and not quite know if you're going to, you know, like, are you going to build, be able to build something as well as you've rendered it, for example, like there's a bit of a risk in it almost. But I think that for us, it's also about just the timeline of projects is so long and it's really nice to share things along the way, whether it's with, you know, the broader world or community and architecture or our clients because it's all content that we're ultimately making for our clients so all of those they're not made for Instagram they're made for client presentations and portfolios and all of these things that we share with the people that we're working with and I think that there's just that injection of pride and delight and satisfaction along the way that's really important and you know it is such a long process to make a building and you can get really lost in the almost drudgery of it sometimes and so if you can stand back and you know 40% of the way through have made a beautiful model and say we have faith in this idea and we have faith in this building because we've made something that's really you know to us what we say solid simple beautiful you know the embodiment of the things that we champion as a practice then it just keeps everyone committed and keeps everyone excited and I mean, we love doing all of that stuff because you have the beautiful photo on the front of the report, you take the model to the council meeting, people are engaged. And so it takes a lot of imagination to look at a drawing or an architectural set and envisage what something's going to become. But if you have all of these things throughout the process and you get to share those things, it means a lot more people become engaged and invested in the project. And that ultimately makes better architecture, we think. So it's partly about keeping the enjoyment of it all present and alive. And it's also really nice to have, I guess, you know, we were talking about silos earlier and the kind of burrowing down and coming back up. It's also nice to be engaged with people in the industry. So, you know, people see what you're doing and, you know, you might have students you're teaching or an architect you bump into on the street and they can see, oh, I can see, you know, you just got approval for that. Like, that's really good to hear. We're doing a project down the road. So it's just a method of, of connecting and a method of showing that, 
we're still doing things. We still love what we do. We're learning, we're trying, we're experimenting, we're testing new ideas. So it's just a way of staying joyful and connected, I think. Yeah. And so do you feel that for keeping people updated with all of that stuff and what's going on, we mentioned that Instagram is probably not the most effective way to do that anymore, or it doesn't, you know, you don't get the message out there quite as much, but is there anything in particular in terms of how maybe the website is going to help with that sort of stuff going forward? I hope so, but I don't, we don't know what it's going to be. I know. (laughs) I think we're we're in such early stages. It's so hard. That makes sense. And, and, and just, again, we don't really know what the website is going to bring, but since you had your previous website, there was obviously a reason for deciding, okay, the DIY Squarespace site that's in the past, we're going to close that off and we're going to start a new chapter. We're going to get a web designer. Is it like just generally elevating the brand and the perception of the brand through design or kind of in doing this process or embarking on this process, what in particular makes it worthwhile for you guys going down that route? I think it's having an external eye on who we are and what we're about and just somebody, I mean, the expertise of people who come from a world that you don't come from is just so invaluable. And again, it's something you just can't really afford to invest in when you start, or at least we couldn't. We were not in a position where we could bring lots of people on as external consultants or people who could just help us build our business. But we're at a point now where we can see the value in it. And so it's exciting and it's almost a bit of a a milestone, I think, to be able to say we've reached a point where we can have somebody engage in that process with us. So there's a satisfaction and a, I don't know, there's just a good feeling that comes from that. So there's that side of it. And then I guess the other part is that you do grow and change a lot, like over the last five years, I think we're foundationally still the same, but, you know, we feel like we're making better buildings. We've got a great team. We are becoming more and more clear about what we want to champion and stand for. We also want to play a role in in what we see as an industry that does have the capacity to affect change and be part of conversations and dialogues about, you know, where our built environment's going. I mean, you know, the whole discussion that we have in the industry around climate change, you know, the Architects Declare movements come out. There's so many architects that stand for these things, yet I often think, you know, where does somebody who is interested in those things find out about how to find an architect or build a home that prioritises those values? So, you know, the website to us is about that next stage of maturity of us as people, of us as a practice, as a brand, if you'd want to put it like that. And that we've got this broad umbrella now that's not just us, it's our team, it's these new clients and projects that we've been able to bring to life in the last couple of years. And it's a sense of where we want to go next. It's forward looking as opposed to backward looking and even, you know, forward looking as opposed to just capturing where we are now so that hopefully it can be representative of where we're going and where we want to be. Okay, Jen, thank you so much. I think we're running out of time, but thank you so much for coming on the podcast and uh, going into so much depth about how you're sort of looking forward at the business as well in the future. I think that's one of the most challenging parts of this discussion is it's uh, quite a lot of times I've been like, what do you think is going to happen next? And that's such a tough spot to go in terms of answering questions. So thank you so much for coming on. And thank you for, for having me. And yeah, thank you. And thank you for doing this. I mean, I feel like, again, you know, we've had so few touch points over the last couple of years where we've been able to hear from architects and learn from one another. And and that's what we're all doing. We're just out there trying to learn and trying to, you know, figure it all out. And so thank you for being so generous with your time and actually making something that so many architects get to tune in and you know, hear from one another on and, and learn from you as well. So yeah, thank you for that. Oh my God, any time. Thank you so much, Jen. Chat soon.
That was my conversation with Jennifer McMaster from Trias. If you'd like to learn more about Trias, you can visit trias.com.au or follow them on Instagram at trias.studio. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.